shared with you, and most of you should know by now, and if you don't, then where have you been? You need to listen better. Um, I've shared that I've been a baseball player most of my life, but today I'm going to share with you something else. I did play other sports, um, and one of those sports was boxing. Uh, my dad was a boxer from when he was about 15 years old um, up to uh, about 30 years old. So w right when I was born, uh, he was still training to be a boxer. Um, he had to give it up because uh, he smashed his hand in a press, and so he could never fully recover from that. And so even today, he still has trouble with that hand. Um, but he, he always thought that it would be neat if I could be a boxer as well. And so there was a boxer in Stockton, California. Now, if you know anything about Stockton, California, it's not a very good place. Um, at one point, it was the worst crime in the nation per capita. Um, and so in that area, this, this ex-boxer, he had a, a gym, and he wanted to really reach out into his community and bring in uh, teens because of the, the drug use and the crime that was going on. He really wanted to reach out to them. And so he decided to do a exhibition tournament, and I use that word tournament very loosely, it was a day of exhibition bouts that teenagers could sign up for and participate in one, one um, fight, and then um, they would give you a little medal if you won. And so they did this, I think he did it for three years, and um, I participated in two times, and my, so my dad's like, we should do this, we should be a part of this, and so I trained with him, and I'm happy to say I won both of my fights, um, and I stopped after the second year because I didn't want to do it the third year and lose, so I am just, I, yep, stay a winner, and that's, that's my life, is um, I do things until I can be the best, and then I stop because I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to lose. Um, and so, and I won both matches, both fights, the same way. Um, I was tall for my age. At, at 15 years old, I was 5'11". I, I have not moved from my, that height. That's a good thing. Yeah. Um, and so I'm still the same height I was when I was 15. And um, all in my weight, same way, I would punch down and, and I would bloody their noses to the point of they couldn't go on anymore. So by the second round, their nose was bleeding so bad that the ref just said no more. And so, um, so yeah, so this is how I won. And so I'm very, so, you know, if you're shorter than me, watch out, okay? Um, if you're taller than me, then we, we're not, we're, we're friends. Um, so we don't have to worry about it. Um, and so, but, I, we trained all the time, and so at the same time as I'm training to, to box, I'm still playing baseball. I'm still training for that, so my days would be basically this. I would get up, go to school, come home, pitch 100. Um, I had to throw 100 balls every single day, and then from there, I had to work out in the boxing, running, and doing all of the stuff that goes on with that, and I hated training. I don't like training because you have to do certain things when you're training, like eat well, and I love Taco Bell, and so I do, um, a few years back, um, I, I hurt my back, and I was trying to recoup some of my strength, and I started working out more and eating healthier, and that lasted two months, because I'd eat fish, and 
and peanuts and oatmeal and I don't like any of that stuff. And so finally I just said forget it. I'm just going to be weak and I don't care. Uh, so but so but I loved training with my dad because we always had fun. And but it got to a point where I could no longer train with him. I hit him hard one time and he said no more. Um, because I was younger and faster and better looking. So, um, so that's true. I'm, not, I'm just speaking truth, man. I'm a pastor. All I speak is truth over here. Um, and so, but, you know, I, I, I said I, I, he wanted to go on and train for, like, Golden Gloves and even maybe Olympics, and I said, this face cannot be damaged. This is, this is my moneymaker. And so we had to, we had to stop. Um, and you know, that's really mean that you would laugh. <laughs> My wife is laughing. Man. So, yeah. So, but anyways. Uh, so, yeah, so anyways, um, so I really like training with my dad because I get to spend time with my dad. We had a lot of fun, um, but I hated the training. But it's this idea of training that we're actually going to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9 today and Hebrews chapter 12. So if you want to bookmark both, that's where we're going to be. And as we're getting into this, we're going to do a recap of where, what we've talked about, because this is the last day in our Beyond series. So that we've been doing this for six weeks, and so we're kind of, this is the end cap part of it. So if you haven't been here for six weeks, that's fine, we just go over the whole thing anyways. Um, and so in the first week, we've been talking about how if we have put our trust into Jesus as our Savior, then we are new creations. And that means that the old self is dead, the new has come, okay, and so we talked about moving beyond the old self, what's that look like? And so we've kind of just walked through this, and we talked about last week how we've kind of just flowed, ebb and flowed through this, because that is the new creation life. We have good times, we have bad times, we have, we have victories, we have defeats, and we're just, we're moving through, and how, what am I supposed to be doing in this new creation life? And so in the first week, we talked about trusting God, and not trusting God for salvation, because we already, we took that as a jumping point into the new creation, so this is moving beyond that understanding of trusting in Jesus as your Savior, but trusting in God with today. So trusting with God today, meaning that we take our plans, and we can make plans, and that's okay, but really the, the crucible is if we go and say, okay, God, work my plans out, right? And if we do that, if we say, God, work my plans out, we're not actually trusting God with our plans. What we're saying is, God, I have made plans, and you are to f make sure they come to flourishing. And we said, that is not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is saying, God, here are some plans. If you want to change them, change them. And we talked about how that's an easy way to see if we're actually trusting God with today. If we can be okay with God changing our plans, then we're trusting him with, with our day. And then we talked about how we leave tomorrow in his hands. That tomorrow is his so we just leave it there. We're going to trust him for today. And then tomorrow, we'll trust him for tomorrow. And then the next day and the day after that, and we just keep going that way. So that's the first week we talked about. In the second week, we talked about grace-filled relationships. Talked about this understanding that 
while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so our whole relationship with God is based on grace because we cannot make it, but we tend to make other relationships based on legalism rather than grace, meaning that we make people reach a certain point before we will love them or before we will interact with them. And we talked about if God has been graceful with us and is, has our relationship based on grace, then we need to extend that grace to other people as well. Now, we talked about that there's still discipline can still happen. Correction can still happen. Standing for God's truth needs to happen. But what we talked about is the goal of grace-based relationships. That's the basis is a restored fellowship, just like what was with us. Jesus died while we were at sinners. But we have to accept that. And we've talked about that before. We have to accept that so the relationship can be restored. Because the Bible doesn't teach, and we didn't get into this, but the Bible doesn't teach universal salvation, meaning that everyone's going to get saved. But rather those who, as John 1.12 says, those, um, well, let's read that, because I think that's a good verse that we should just read. So John 1.12 My pages won't stick. My Luke and John 1 are sticking. Listen to this. John 1, 12 says this. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed, right, who trusted, it says, he gave the right to become children of God. So Jesus does everything, the grace-filled relationship, and then we accept it. In our grace-filled relationships, it's the same thing. We need to love people without them meeting a standard, without them having to look a certain way or acting a certain way or talking a certain way. And we can correct in those relationships. We can admonish. We can encourage. We can do all. But the goal of the relationship is fully, full restoration, not just with us, but with God as well. So we're pointing them back to Jesus, which we talked about several weeks ago. And so this idea of grace-filled relationships is really important for us, that we extend the grace that God has given to us. In the third week, we talked about, okay, how do we now do that? How do we actually extend grace? How do we trust God? What are some practical application here? And we talked about doing three things. We looked at John 15, and we looked at three things. One is to be disciplined, that we have to accept discipline from God. The second one is we have to rely fully in Jesus okay, for everything, just like the chair right now that you're relying on to sit. Okay, that's how we have to rely on Jesus. Our full being has to be on him. Okay? And the last one we talked about is this idea of putting God's word into practice. So we're actually doing what God says, not just hearing what he says, but actually doing it. And so we talked about those three things. Then in the fourth week, we talked, okay, when we put into practice what God says, there are going to be times when we don't actually fulfill everything, right? So God says, do not hold anger in your heart, right? That's murder. Okay. How many of us have ever held anger in our heart after we accepted Jesus as our Savior? Yeah. I mean, so there will be times when we, we know what God wants, but we don't fulfill it. And in those times, this is what we were talking about, in those times, 
there are going to be voices and thoughts that come into our mind that say, you're not good enough for God. Or, you're, are you really saved? And so we talked about how can we know that we have salvation? How can we be secure in that? So when those voices come, we can stand on the Word of God, and we can, we can combat that. When something says, you're not good enough, we can say, you're right. But Jesus Christ died for me while I was yet a sinner. It's not about me, it's about His goodness. You know, and so this idea, so we talked about God has done everything necessary for our salvation. And we can know, and we said there's, there are two ways that we could, there are two clues, right, that we can know that we have salvation. The first one was, if we look back into our lives, can we see a movement away from sin? Away from the person that was before, the old self, and the new self. Can we see that? If we can't, then there might be a problem. So do we grieve over sin? Talked about being sorrowful. So when I sin, when I, fall, when I falter, when I, when I hold that anger, when I know I shouldn't, do I grieve over it? We talked about Daniel uh, not Daniel, David and Nathaniel, uh, Nathan, <laughs> David and Nathan, you know, all their names put together. Um, David and Nathan and how when Nathan brought David's sin of Bathsheba to him, Dan, uh, David grieved over it. And that's what, if we are not grieving over our sin, then what, are we really having the heart of God? And so we talked about those two things just as clues to help us understand. So if we're grieving over sin, my salvation is secure because that's the Holy Spirit grieving within me. And so we talked about that. Now, in week five, last week um, was, we can get to this point also where we start doing all of this in our own strength because I need to look good. I need to, you know, act a certain way. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I should do certain things. And we start working at it. We start being the good person, Right? And this is actually what the Pharisees were doing. They were being the good people, but they weren't connected with God. And so we talked about last week, we looked at Jesus' life and say, okay, if Jesus, if we are Christians, right, Christ-like, then we need to look at Christ, we need to look at Jesus and say, how did he do this? And we saw that being fully God, he still, he pointed, he did the example of fully relying on the Holy Spirit. And so we, we saw that as an example to us. He fully relied on the Holy Spirit and on the revealed Word of God. And so he looked back and he used the Word. And so we saw this in Matthew 4 with him and the temptations and this whole idea of relying on God, relying on the Holy Spirit, relying on the Word of God to, to do this, to, to really empower us. Because if we try to do it in our own strength, it's going to become legalist. We're not going to be grace-filled. If we try to do it in our own strength, we're not going to trust God. We're going to trust in ourselves. If we try to do it in our own strength, we're going to be questioning our salvation every single day because it's me that has to keep fixing the salvation relationship, and it's not based on who God is. And so this is a really important thing that we fully rely on what the Holy Spirit is doing, on what God has said. And so we talked about all that. This is why I don't like doing long um, sermon series. That's everything we've talked about in the last five weeks, summed up. Okay, now let's get into today.
All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be reading 24 through 27. Um, and so let's do that now. This is what Paul says. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a, they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do, not like, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so then after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And so this idea of Paul talking about, I love the idea of the race, right, of going after. And I started thinking about Olympics and how much training goes into the Olympics. And there was a gymnast, a gymnast, and I, I don't know if I'm going to say her name right, um, but it's, I think it's Simone, so Simone Biles, Bills, but yeah, so um, she was a, an Olympic athlete a few years ago, um, and she said that her training regimen was at least 32 hours a week, um, six, so she worked out six days a week and took one day off. I thought, okay, that's, that's pretty, that doesn't seem like a lot, right? And then I started listening. I mean, really, like, I did that. You know, I'm not Olympic. But then I started listening to other people. And one, another gymnast said that she worked out from 8 to noon, took a lunch break, and then came back and worked till dinner time. Like, and, sh and there was nothing about taking a day off. So I don't know if she did or not. But then people like Michael Phelps, you've heard of him, he says he practices three to six hours a day in the water, and then gets out and works another three to four hours just doing dry exercises. Uh, that's a lot of work. Um, and then I, I said, okay, so what's the average? And it says the average athlete takes four to eight years to make it to a team doing this every single day. And once they've made it, they've put in roughly 10,000 hours of training. Uh, that, now that's a lot of hours. I do not have the drive to do that because I, I have friends and I've had food and I've wanted time off, you know. And it's like, that's, I wanted life. And it, to me, it, it doesn't seem like life. And yet, all this work, listen to how Paul says that the prize, even, even the, the gold medal, Paul says, it's in verse 25, they do it to get a crown that will not last. I mean, these athletes put in their whole lives, young lives, most of them. And it's great. I mean, I love watching the Olympics. I've watched the, uh, sports I would never think I would want to watch just because I like the feeling of winning, right? I know, especially I'm like, okay, which ones are we guaranteed to wa uh, win? I'll watch those. Because I like to watch winning things. You know, I like to be the one that's like, yeah, I hate... One of the worst things, so I'm a Dodgers fan most of the time. Um, yeah. For years, right, for years they would make it to the, uh, just this past few years, they would make it to the uh, World Series and lose. And then the next year, make it to the World Series and lose. I'm like, you guys are paying the most money in the Major League Baseball right now, and you're still losing. Knock it off. So I just I thought maybe it was my fault. So I didn't watch this year, and they won. So I don't. Maybe it's just me. 
you know, so, but, but, yeah, yeah, Cubs, um, so, but this idea of, of having this prize, and it's a great prize, but it's not a lasting prize, it's not an eternal prize, and I love, I was, I was looking at, just going through different athletes, and this athlete, her name's Gigi Martin, she was on the Olympic U.S. hockey team, and she was competing in her third um, Olympics. And she was, she was being interviewed, and she said this, I'm back on the ice, proudly wearing the USA across my sweater and representing my country. But my mission is more than winning another medal or championship. It's about sharing Christ and leading others to him. That is eternal prizes right there. That's an understanding that a real prize is a relationship, an eternal relationship with God. That is the prize. And so this is what we're talking about is, okay, as, as athlete Christians, as those that are going after the prize, right, which we already have, it's already there, and now we're, we're just, we're training, right? And I love the idea of people, I've had people say, why doesn't God just take us when, when we accept Jesus as our Savior and just take us? Right? Wouldn't that be a good time? And I've always thought, yeah, but when we get to heaven, when we see Jesus, wouldn't it be nice to be the person that he has called us to be, that he has saved us to be at that point? Yeah. It's where, like, two people change. Yeah, they yeah. change bodies. Yep. And this idea of just waking up, and now you're in a completely different body. And it's like, what do I do? How do I walk? And all that. What... What about us? Will we just wake up in the body and just be like, who am I? But right now we're being conformed to the image of Christ. So when we get to that point, it's like, yeah, this is who I am. I am who God created me to be. Now, I don't know how theological that is, so take that with a grain of salt. But this is, this is how my mind works, okay? It's not very good mind, but, you know, it's, it's got those rusty things that are moving and slowly... Yeah, so slowly they're coming about. But as athletes moving towards this prize, how are we to do it? So let's, this is what we're going to do. We're kind of going to sum up our last five weeks in today. So let's move over to this understand of Hebrews chapter 12. And we're just going to look at chapter 12, just a couple of verses that kind of encapsulates everything we talked about. So I would encourage you this week to really go through and study chapter 12, uh, because we're only going to hit a few verses. Okay, so the first verse that we're going to talk about is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. And this is what it says. Consider him, and it's talking about Jesus. So consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is what we did last week. We considered Jesus. And that idea of consider carries with it analyze. So analyze Jesus. Analyze what he did. Analyze what he has said. Really, and it, the idea is added up. So really think on it and say, okay, how's this? How did Jesus do this? We did this last week. How did Jesus go through temptation. How does he do that? He relied fully on the Holy Spirit and on the Word of God. So what do we need to do? Rely. Fully rely on the Holy Spirit and fully rely on the, on the Word of God. That's what it means to consider Jesus. 
And this is how Paul puts it in Philippians 2. So in Philippians 2, 5, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We're supposed to have his mindset the, again and again through the word. So um, Romans 8, be conformed, right, to the image of the Son. Um, Romans 12, have your mind transformed. These ideas of who are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be like Christ, hence the name, Christian, like Christ. And so who do we need to consider? Christ. I mean, Jesus, that's, that's who it is, right? That's the first thing. So we need to consider Jesus. Okay, second thing, verse 7. So dropping down a few verses to verse 7, it says, Endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Okay, so this next one is we need to endure hardships. Okay, why? Because the idea here, the endurance, has a couple different ideas. The first one is standing. So you stand against it. So I was um, in, so I, like I said, I did a lot of different sports. Um, I took this um, one, it's, kind of, it's a martial art, um, and in that martial art they had several different um, stances, and one of them was, they called it, I, I, they had a Japanese name for it, so I don't even know that. Um, but basically, it was translated as earth, okay? So, and the idea was you stand firm, right? So nothing can push you over. And so this idea of endure is standing firm. But it also carries with it the idea of learn. So you're being educated, you're understanding, so you're enduring and so this is how I always view school. You're enduring school, right? And it's not just you're standing to get through it, but you are learning, you're being educated through it. And so you're enduring it, meaning you're, you're growing. And this is what athletes do. They endure. There have been times I had to go outside during, it's raining, and I'm like, I don't want to go outside. My dad goes, 100 pitches. So I go out there. Sometimes those balls went because of the rain, just out of my hand. But I had endured it, and you know what? I played several games in the rain, and I learned how to control the ball in the rain. I had to endure it. I had to be educated so that when I got to those other instances, I was ready. And so here we're saying the discipline of God, it's an endurance so that we can learn, so we can be educated. And so James... This is why James, in his first chapter, can say this, consider it pure joy. You know, when you read that, and you go, consider it pure joy, and then he says, my brother and sister, whenever you face trials of any kind, it's like, James, no one likes trials. You know, but the reality is, we can have, it can be joy when we realize it's meant to help us, that we can learn something through it. That it's there to help us. That God has not given it to us so that we can fall, but rather so he can build us up in Christ. And so that understanding, and then he goes on, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work. Finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Nothing. Nothing. And so the endurance is really important. Okay, let's drop down seven verses to verse 14. 
It says this, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And so this next one is to live in holiness. We are called to live in holiness. And I, I love this is we have to be real careful as Christians that we don't become bookworm Christians to the point where we miss Christ. Okay, meaning that you have the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law and they would read through and Jesus tells them, if you have read it, then you should know me because Moses wrote about me. And so this understanding that we better not miss Christ, right? Not miss what he's doing. This is why it's so important to consider him. But we not, better not do that. We better live in holiness as well. One of the biggest things against the church for decades has been they're hypocrites, right? I think that's a false accusation, but that has been it. Why? Because I have heard story after story after story from y'all in this group that says growing up, it was such a strict home. There was no movement of the Holy Spirit. It was just doing and doing and doing. And it wasn't until I encountered Jesus for myself that I realized that it was more than just the rules. And it's, we have to live in holiness. And a part of that holiness is a, a spirit-moved life. It's the reliance on the Holy Spirit. And so I love what First Peter says. So First Peter 1, 15 through 17 says this. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do, in everything. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now listen to this. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. I want to focus in on that. Foreigners here in reverent fear. There's two things that we can go with holiness here. One, we need to realize we're foreigners in this land. This is Philippians, right? This is Philippians 3.20, where Paul talks about being a citizen of heaven that we've talked about a few, um, several weeks ago in a different series. Um, so this idea of we need to first realize we're foreigners in heaven. The first thing is we are here, but our citizenship in heaven outranks anything else. Okay, so we talked about that. Okay, so what is this fear, this reverent fear? So this isn't a shaking fear. Okay? But rather, in this particular context, the fear idea here is that you're moving away from something. So think about it like this. If you go outside and you see a rattlesnake, what's the first thing you're going to do? You better get out of there. Don't reach for it. Okay? This is a PSA. Do not grab a rattlesnake. Okay? Especially by the head. Okay? Unless you're quick and you know what you're doing. I'm neither of those. Most of the time, I'm not at all. So you stop and you move away. Why? Because you understand that that could hurt you. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the fear here. We understand that the things of the world are not the things of God. And so where do we go? We move away from the things of the world. Because we reverently understand who God is. And so we need to move away those things because they are not ours. They're the world's. And we need to follow God. 
And so this understanding that to live in holiness is to live as foreigners, leaving behind the things that we don't need. Okay? Let's drop down to the next one's in verse 22, but I want to look at verses 18 and 22 because there's a comparison here. And I love the imagery. I love the imagery of Scripture um, because I'm a, I'm a visual person. I'm not a um, anything else. I, like, I can't do things. I have to watch it first, right? Most guys are like this. Look at the picture. Okay, that's how it has to look. So however I can get it to look like that, that's okay. I don't need those manuals. I just need that picture. All right? So I love the imagery here. And there's this, it's a, it's a comparison between two mountains. And we're just going to look at verse 18 and 22. First one, verse 18, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. And this whole idea is going back into Mount Sinai. This whole idea is going back to that mountain where it is, it, there's, there's foreboding. It's, 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 there's, you could be scared. In fact, when you go back and you start reading through the Exodus and they come to this mountain, the Israelites, they don't want anything to do with it. They tell Moses, you go up there. We don't want to hear from God because they're so afraid. And God actually says, if anything touches the mountain, it's to be killed. This is a scary thing, and here comes the, the law of God, the thing that shows us that we are separated from Him, that judgment and punishment come to those who are separated from God. That's what this mountain represents, and so he says, you, Christian, you have not come to a mountain that can, um, yeah, that can be touched, that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom. You haven't come to that mountain. What mountain have you come to? Verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. This is the mountain we have come to, the mountain of forgiveness. If you start thinking about Mount Zion, Mount, um, the mountain of God in Jerusalem, what is there? It's the temple of God. It is the mercy seat of God where forgiveness happens. If the mountain of uh, Mount Sinai, Sinai, I always say Sinai, and Mike always corrects me. So, oh my, that mountain. Uh, no, the other one, um, the dark one. Um, so, if you come to that one, all that's there is punishment. But where do we come? We come to the mercy seat of God, to Mount Zion, to His presence. And what is there but un? Uh, but unlimited forgiveness. I love that when, when the disciples come to Jesus and they say, how many times should I, should I forgive my brother? And Jesus says, 70 times 7. Basically, every single time. An infinite amount of times. Why? Because God infinitely is forgiving us. And it's all done through Jesus. All of, all of our sin has been bought, it has been dealt with, it has been punished through Jesus. But I love John 1, 9. John 1, 9 is written to us as believers. It's not written to unbelievers to try to get them to understand who Christ is. It's written to us. And what does it say? It says, let's read it. 
Let's read it. John 1, or 1 John. Okay. 1 John 1 9. Oh, as I. 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from some unrighteousness. No, it is all unrighteousness. Every bit. It's the unlimited forgiveness of God. And so, I, God, I just felt. I just, I, that neighbor, he got to me. And I did not show your love to him. God, forgive me. That's, that's a part of this. It's a constant coming back. Why was, why was David called a man after God's own heart? That guy was a mess up left and right. Because he kept coming back. He kept seeking after God. Every single God. That's what it is. We need to, we need to not play games with God. We need to come to Him and bear it before God. And He is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That is who our God is. And so this understanding, and I love how the psalmist puts it. So the Psalm 27, 4 says this, One thing I ask from the Lord, this one, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek Him in His temple. I mean, just think about that. Just God, I just want to be on the mountain with you. Even when I'm in the valley, I want to be on the mountain. And so this idea of continually coming back to God, God, I messed up again. There's forgiveness. It's building that relationship stronger. And then the next time, I might speak to my neighbor better. And if I don't, God's still there. His forgiveness has not ended. It's still there. And it covers a multitude of sins. And so this understanding that we are to live in unlimited forgiveness, always coming back to God. And so just this understanding that Jesus has done everything, right? Jesus has done everything we need for salvation. Um, he has done everything that we need, need to do all of this, to live in this moment, right? And so we need to understand that. So you can flip to the next slide there, Ben. Um, so just understanding that this is all on God. We've, I hope that this has been clear the last six weeks, that this is all resting on God. All I'm doing is I'm there. I'm just following. And this is why I love, so the second part of Ephesians 2.9, Paul says this, so that no one can boast. I don't, I'm not good. Jeremiah is not a good person. He constantly, yeah, that was my daughter saying, I agree. <laughs> I am not a good person. That's the reality. I get angry. I get upset. I get hungry. I get hangry. I get, you know, well, I guess, good yeah, right. And that's what the Bible says. And so it's all what Jesus did. Jesus did it all. And he's still doing it. He is the one that I rest in. I don't rest in me. I rest in Him. 
And our guiding verse through this whole thing is Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith. I live by that trust. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I didn't do anything here. And even now, I don't live, but Christ lives in me. That's wonderful. Because now, it's not based on how good I am. It's not based on what I can do for God. It's not based on what He has already done and how good He is. And so this week, this is my challenge for you. Each day, I want you to take one of these four things that we've talked about and and practice one. Okay, so day one, Monday, is considering Jesus. Okay? Monday, consider Jesus. Um, and this is taking, go, in, go into the Gospels and grab a passage and just consider what Jesus has done in that passage. Um, a couple, here's a couple examples. Um, John 4, 1 through, I think it's 37. Um, I can look, it's down here. Oh, I was wrong, it's 38. Okay, so John 4, 1 through 38. Okay, Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Those are just two examples. It's just taking that passage and all day just considering what Jesus did. You don't have to take those passages. There's, there's plenty. There's four Gospels worth okay, that you can look through. Okay? Those are just two examples. And they're on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Okay? So I would challenge you just Monday, consider Jesus. Okay? That's, day, that's Monday, Tuesday. It's going back and it's looking, and it's, as you go through hardships, TV went out, the, the phone keeps ringing, the, you know, this and that, and take time and just be joyful in the hardships. Thank God. Say, God, how can I learn? What am I supposed to be educated here? How am I supposed to endure this? How is that supposed to happen? How, how am I supposed to grow closer to you? What was your plan? For this and so that's tuesday wednesday is that we seek holiness god are there things in my life as a foreigner of this world that i have embraced and i need to push away what are those things this is um david in the first 51st psalm where he says is there anything in me is there anything in me and so it's going before God and saying, God, is there anything in me that, I need, that needs to be taken out? Let's take it out. Thursday is push into the unlimited forgiveness of God. God, are there things that I have not sought your forgiveness over? That I have been holding on for years? A relationship, a thought, anything that I've been just holding on? God, show it to me and let me deal with it. And your unlimited forgiveness. And then you have, so that's four things, right? You have two extra days, Friday and Saturday. If you, whichever one you struggle with the most, you have two days to work on them. Okay? That's the hard part. You can't do the easy ones, okay? If, you have, if you're like, oh yeah, I forgive everyone. Okay, well, you have three other ones to choose from, okay? Pick the, pick the one you mess up on the most. That's Saturday, uh, uh, Friday and Saturday. Okay, but I want to end with these verses. 
at the end of Hebrews chapter 12, I love this. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, there's that prize, that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God um, acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And I just love this idea that we are called into the presence of God, into the consuming fire of God. And in that consuming fire, that's where things get made, right? Metals. You don't put metals into water, into a cool environment, so that they can become swords or whatever you need them for, right? No, they go into the furnace. They go into the fire. Why? Because in the fire, they can be turned into what they are supposed to be used for. And here we are in the consuming fire of the presence of God to be transformed, to be conformed into the image of the Son. That he had, that was a purpose, as Romans 5, uh, Romans 8 says, from the beginning. That was the purpose, that we would be conformed into the image of the Son. And that's where we are. If we put ourselves into this, God, how do I live this new creation? Right in the fire. Right in the place where we can be refined by God to be the people he created us and saved us to be. That's great. Sound good? Good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good God, and I thank you. I thank you that you have brought us into your kingdom by your Son. Jesus, I thank you that it was by your obedience and your humbleness that you went to the cross and you sacrificed yourself on my behalf because there is no reason why you should have done that except that you have great love for us. So, Lord, I thank you for that. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters and myself right now that we would be people that are athletes, that are striving, that are, are being trained, that are being disciplined, that are being brought closer to you, that are being refined by your fire, that we would be people tomorrow that we weren't today because we're moving closer to the image of Christ. So, Lord, help us to do that, constantly moving closer and closer. So on that day, when we are glorified in your presence, the person that we are is not a, an unknown to us, but rather we see it as the completion of your work. So Lord, I thank you and I praise you because of what you have done through your son. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.